In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio, 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm Director of Ministry for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. You know, if you've been around at all and you know about anything, you know this guy named C.S. Lewis. Well, C.S. Lewis created some of the most fascinating characters in fiction. Once an atheist, his books have painted, pointed, excuse me, countless people to the gospel. And our guest for today has a book out right now that aims to help readers share the gospel with just a little help from C.S. Lewis because people are living in a world where it's always winter and never Christmas. And we want to talk about that. And here to get us started, to introduce our guest for the day is my good friend, my co-host, my buddy, my pal of good news for the city, Pastor Brian Bale, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia. God bless you, my brother. It's great to see you, man. Hey, man. It's great to see you as well. I think there's an old song many of us may be familiar with that says, I get by with a little help from my friends. Amen. And so, and amen. Dennis, thanks for being my friend. But as we talk about today, I want to just take a moment that sometimes the friendships that can help us are from people maybe we've never met, at least not in person. We've yes, met them yes. through their writings. We've met them through their stories that have been portrayed in many different ways. And C.S. Lewis is, is one of those people. We were just joking off air, Dennis, uh, with our guest today, Randy Newman, that uh, one of the running jokes where I grew up was, is that if there's a really good gospel quote <clears throat> that you can't attribute to someone specifically, most likely C.S. Lewis was the one that wrote it. <laughs> or at least that's what you would I say. I love that, man. And uh, C.S. Lewis is a brilliant mind and someone who is a friend, uh, a friend of us even now today, many, many years after his passing. And today we have in studio Randy Newman, who is the Senior Fellow for Apologetics and Evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute in the Washington, D.C. area. He's taught at several evangelical seminaries, as well as Patrick Henry College, and is currently an adjunct professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. After serving for over 30 years with Campus Crusade with Christ, he established Connection Points, which is a ministry that helps Christians engage people's hearts the way Jesus did. He's written several books, including the award-winning Questioning Evangelism, as well as numerous articles about evangelism and other ways our lives intertwine with God's creation. He and his wife, Pam, live in Annandale, Virginia, right here in the Washington metro area. They have three grown sons, two delightful daughter-in-laws, and a growing number of adorable grandchildren. And as he will tell you, he occasionally, and that is occasionally, blogs at connectionpoints.us, but you can also find out more about him at cslewisinstitute.org. So Randy, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for being part of the show. Oh, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks so very much. All right. So there are a lot of people out in this world that have heard of C.S. Lewis, um, maybe even many 
have read his books. So let's talk about the place that you uh, serve at, the C.S. Lewis Institute. What is that and how is that connected to him? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a discipleship ministry, and we're uh, really interested in helping people grow in what we call uh, heart and mind discipleship. And we're, we're not a C.S. Lewis fan club, but mm-hmm. our prayer and our hope is that uh, people who would be discipled through our resources or our fellows program would become as thoroughly converted as C.S. Lewis was. Lewis thought deeply and Christianly about everything. And so that's that's our hope that uh, we'll be able to uh, come alongside the church and deepen people's spiritual faith, uh, spiritual walks through discipleship. Now, you just use that term heart and mind discipleship. Unpack that for a couple of seconds for people who may be not familiar with what you mean by that. Well, I'll start with Lewis. Lewis was brilliant intellectually, uh, and he engaged people's intellect with arguments and reason. Um, but he also engaged people's imagination by creating the world of Narnia or or just sprinkling in analogies everywhere. He he couldn't help himself. He He would help you understand something, but also feel it. And so he didn't just give you reasons and arguments why you should believe the Christian method. He message he he gave analogies and said um, we're, we're not just uh, imperfect people who need improvement. We're rebels who need to lay down our arms. Mm-hmm. Now, now those are those are two images of rebels laying down arms. He he wove in imagination as well as the intellect. And so in a parallel way, we want to help people grow in heart and mind discipleship so that so they know more about the faith and they understand God's word intellectually, but they also love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, strength and mind. I love that. And thanks for clarifying that. Now, some people or maybe a lot of people may be familiar with the films that came out around probably Lewis's most famous works that gets out into the public uh, sort of venue. And that is the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Some of us have seen Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and a couple of the other movies that came out. But certainly he wrote many, many other books. One book uh, that many of us have come in contact with is a book called Mere Christianity. And you have written a new book called Mere Evangelism. And I know there's a connection there. Talk about why you picked this topic and that connection, if you would. Well, um, I've had the, the the privilege of doing a whole bunch of different trainings in evangelism with uh, all my years with Campus Crusade. And then, mm-hmm. um, uh, as you mentioned, I, I wrote a book called Questioning Evangelism, and the Lord just used that to open up a lot of doors for speaking and teaching about evangelism. And the topic of pre-evangelism just keeps coming up all the time about all these things we need to do to pave the way for a gospel presentation, things we can say and ways we can live so that when we do evangelize, proclaim the gospel message, it makes sense to people. And there's a bunch of prep work we need to do. And I've always felt that C.S. Lewis did it better than anybody. And we need to learn more and more lessons from him about how to to start further back in our discussion of how, how do we know anything? Why do we believe anything? Uh, what, mm-hmm. what makes us think that there might be a supernatural realm to life? And so I, I was able to convince some good friends at the Good Book Company that we should learn some things from C.S. Lewis. And I put together uh, 10 insights about to help us share our faith, because I, I think he's got a whole lot to teach us. 
you know, Lewis was such an incredible storyteller, even as you're talking for me and some of the books I've been able to integrate with and to, to learn from just even some of the stories and the way he communicates it's there. You know, another great example is screw tape letters. If someone has never uh, read that book or maybe even seen it presented in a live format somewhere. And it's happened in many places, even on Broadway at one point, he, he was just amazing and engaging the, the imagination to drive home the truth about who God was. And he brought some methods there. Talk about how some of those methods in, in captivating his reader's attention or his audience's attention and how they can be effective in translating into what it looks like to communicate the truth about the good news of the gospel to the people who need to hear it, you and I and others in the world. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm just so fascinated. Well, first of all, the, the book, Mere Christianity, was so very crucial in my own coming to faith. And mm. so I've, I've gone back and reread it many times. And I'm just so intrigued with how he started or where he started. He begins the very first, sorry, let me, let me back up. Uh, these were radio broadcasts. Originally, okay. there were only supposed to be five of them. And uh, so he was, you know, he was booked to come on and do these five 15-minute radio broadcasts about the Christian faith. And eventually they were so popular or well-received that they added another five and then another 10 and then another one. And so, but in the first five, he spends four of them just preparing the way for uh, intellectual arguments about the Christian faith. And he starts way back. He starts with, um, we've all heard people quarreling, and it's as if they're appealing to some kind of standard that we all need to believe, and yet we all don't live up to. So he said, you know, someone takes your seat. Hey, that was my seat. Why did you take that seat? Or, hey, I, I shared with you a piece of my orange. Why don't you share with me? It's like there's some kind of innate sense of right and wrong built into us. That's where he started. And I just think we need to go back and start that far back with things. Yeah. I love how you're bringing to light some of the uh, things that maybe we don't quite grasp. And that is that where we often start are at differing places that isn't going to move the conversation forward, that maybe we need to back up a little bit in that way. And you talk about this idea of engaging uh, intellect and the imagination. So I want to pause here for a moment and, and say something that's obvious, but sometimes the obvious needs to be said. We live in a very polarized world right now, right? Um, we view things through very distinct lenses and depends upon who you come in connection with that particular lens. And a lot of time in that polarization, there's a lot of closed mindedness, even in engaging around a conversation so much that if we stop for a moment and we make a comment, for example, growing up in Campus Crusade and your ministry there, you know, if you start by the idea of four spiritual laws, there's some people going to go, well, I don't believe in laws, which maybe years and years, years ago, that was a, a different way to approach it. How do we look at this idea about the imagination piece that Lewis did so well and see it as critical and important in engaging conversations about the truth of who Jesus is and why he matters in people's lives? Well, so you're weaving two themes together that I think are perhaps the most, the two most important themes. One is about the need for pre-evangelism going mm -hmm. further back. And the other one is engaging the imagination. So um, uh, I, I think you're exactly right. There was, there was a point in time when you could say to people, um, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? And people would have been receptive to that. Now, today, we're, we're, we're not too keen on laws. 
and uh, and we're certainly not too keen on laws related to the spiritual realm. So we just have to back up further, and we need to find out well, what do people believe in, and where are they? Where are the common starting points? And, and so I think for some people, it's well, you know, why why do we think that there's more to life than just molecules and the mm-hmm. physical realm why 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 does music move us so much and why why do we stare at a beautiful sunset and 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 so we want to think about how our faith uh informs uh or or helps us see all of life and so here here's a here's a statement that lewis made that 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 captures this and the imagination he said i, I believe in christianity as i believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Now, isn't that just beautiful? So, so I wanted to try to encourage people in, in, in my book of, okay, how do you see everything else as a Christian? And what are some of those everything else's that other people are looking at? And we can point in the same direction. Rather than starting with where we disagree, let's find places where we agree. Isn't 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 a sunset a beautiful thing? Isn't uh, isn't family a great blessing? Uh, isn't food delicious? <laughs> isn't friendship something that just makes us laugh and smile? Why is that? And to try to engage in those kinds of conversations on those levels, uh, and then point people to the larger story of the God who created us this way. Is it fair to reframe what I think I hear you saying is we often start in the adversarial position when instead we need to start in the complementarian position? What do we agree with? What do we see it instead of going at to, hey, let me tell you why I believe this and you believe this. Is that a fair way to say it? Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly right. And and I think I think when Lewis put these messages together for the BBC that eventually became the book Mere Christianity, he uh, I, I mean, I've read some background stuff. He had to kind of argue for this approach because people wanted him to move more quickly to the adversarial position mm-hmm. or here's where we disagree. And so there's this point toward the end of the fourth week, fourth out of five sessions, where he said, uh, don't think I'm moving faster than I am. I'm still not within 100 miles of the God of Christian theology. Uh, and so he was more patient to move slowly. And I think... We need to ask God to give us that kind of patience and that kind of wisdom. Well, you talk about in the book as well, prayer. And this is, we all would say we believe it's important, but many times when we reflect on our own lives, and especially as we think about how we connect in a pre-evangelism way and connecting with those who need to know the truth about Jesus, when we reflect on maybe prayer isn't as important as we say it is, at least based upon our practice, what does C.S. Lewis have to say about prayer, and how did prayer guide his work? Well, uh, he sure talks about it a great deal, and he writes about it, and he mentions it so very often in, in his letters that we get the idea that he was quite diligent about praying, and in particular, he, he would, would pray for non-believers, that God would open their blind eyes and uh, draw them into himself. So there's this one place where he said, I, I have two lists of people uh, people for whose conversion I give thanks and people for whose conversion I pray for. And and um, it's a great joy when I move people from one list to the other, from, you know, the ones I've been praying for their salvation mm-hmm. and then to the other list of I give thanks for their salvation. So uh, we, we know that that was an important part of his 
uh, own experience. Uh, theologically, we know, I mean, for anybody to become born again, it's an absolute miracle. It's absolutely supernatural where the scriptures say that we're before we become Christians, we were dead in our transgressions, not, not just uninformed, <laughs> we were dead. And so it's an absolute miracle. And so we need to, to pray. Um, but it's, it's easy to lose heart in prayer and it's easy to give up. So we have a lot of teaching in scripture to encourage us to keep going to uh, uh, Colossians 4 says for us to be devoted to prayer or to remain steadfast in prayer. Yeah. And so that's, that's very, very important, but it's very easy to give up. And so as you kind of uh, talked about the miracle that is salvation, dead and trespasses of sin, now alive, we also recognize this other part in scripture when Jesus himself in John chapter six says, listen, no one comes to the father unless I draw him. That supernatural aspect where only Jesus can do certain things. And we can't. I mean, the idea that we can actually convert someone is starting at the wrong premise. But we know that God has a process, a part for us to play uh, in this. And when you write your book, what are some of the hopes of your book in talking about these 10 things you mentioned earlier on and how that will help equip people in their part in the process? Well, I, I, I think I say it in the book, and I often try to say it in my teaching that evangelism involves this intersection of what people do and what God does, what, what we do and what we ask God to do. And on the, on the people side, in some ways, it's, it's very natural or human and interpersonal. It's being a good listener. It's asking good questions. It's trying to construct arguments that make sense. But at the same time, we also know that, that God has to do the absolute miracle of, of raising people from the dead. So we pray, and it's, it's both. And so we, we want to be clear, as we ought to be. Again, that was Paul's request of a prayer in Colossians 4. Um, but we also know that there's this absolute miraculous part that that God plays. And so we need to be mindful of what you just said. No one comes to the father unless the fa father draws him. But we also need to be aware of where, where Jesus said, um, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're asking God to do two miracles, one in us that he would use us and one in them that they would respond and uh, there, there's something very humbling about that and yet very encouraging about that of, well, I can't do this, but you know what? God can use me. Okay, let's let please, Lord, use me in a supernatural way. What would you say if I use the term, you said not just encouraging, but freeing? Mm -hmm. I think I run into people that, uh, and I've had this way in my own life, that I always feel like this person's just going to know more than I am. They're going to have more answers. So that discourages them from sharing what God has uniquely mm -hmm. made them to share. And I often tell them, look, I know I have a lot of degrees. Randy, you have way more discussion and background in this area than I do. And I imagine that both of us could always run into someone that knows more than we do. Sure. Um, but that isn't upon us to make that conversion. But we understand to be faithful, do what God asks, the miracle in us, the miracle in them. Could that be considered freeing as people uh, move forward in sharing their faith? Oh, I, I hope so. I, I think it's very liberating. And, and there's, I almost have this, this picture. <laughs> so, I, so now I'm trying to engage the imagination the way Lewis did. It, it's almost like I say something 
And, and, I, and as I, as I say it, I think, oh, that wasn't really very good, or that could have been a whole lot better. And, um, and, and then I, I imagine God saying, I, I could work with that. <laughs> I, I could use that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it could have been better. Uh, it's okay. I can work with it. Man. So there's, there's something freeing about that. But, you know, um, when I do workshops or whatever, people, people very often say, well, I'm just afraid someone's going to ask me a question and I won't know the answer. And I always respond, count on it. It's guaranteed. It definitely will happen. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. And then you get the wonderful opportunity to say, hmm, I don't know. That's a good one. Let me think about that. Let me get back to you. That's not bad at all. In fact, it's it's a beautiful display of humility and concern for the person. Well, let let me do a little research and get back to you. So sure, we want to learn as much as we can and to be able to be prepared to answer questions. But we we should be delighted when people ask us questions we don't know, because it's a whole new kind of opportunity. Well, Lewis himself at one point has described himself as a reluctant convert, which means he was still a really, really smart guy that probably had a lot of really, really smart questions that, mm-hmm. that someone couldn't answer at some point. Um, but how does his own conversion inform sort of the methodologies and the things that you write about in this book? Yes, that's very, very important. Um, so there's this pretty famous uh, long walk he and Tolkien and Hugo Dyson took around uh, Addison's Walk, this path right outside Maudlin College, where they talked about mythology, because that's what Lewis loved and he knew. And they talked about mythology. And, and they asked him, you know, why do you love it so much? And, you know, why are you drawn to it so much? Especially if you think if you're an atheist and life is pointless and meaningless, why do you keep being drawn to these beautiful stories of a hero saving and a, and a hero coming and dying and then rising from the dead? And they just pushed him with, if you love this kind of stuff in, in mythology, maybe, maybe it's pointing to a larger story, the, the true myth. Um, the, the ultimate one. So again, they started with what he did believe and love and pointed him to a larger story. And that's what I think we, we need to do more and more with people is let's find the things that they believe in, that they love, not, not the sinful, you know, lustful idolatrous stuff, but what are the, what are the beautiful things that God has put into our world that we can say, yeah, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Maybe it points to a larger story. Yeah. I love that. I love that connection. And, and um, I do encourage people, you can go to amazon.com and you can pick up the book mirror evangelism uh, or any of the six books that Randy has written. You can also find out more information at cslewisinstitute.org or where he occasionally blogs at connectionpoints.us. Now, I love this question. I don't know if it's a fair question to ask. It might be an easy question for you to answer or not. But for a man that works at a place called C.S. Lewis Institute and has written a book very much connected to C.S. Lewis, is it fair to ask someone, do you have a favorite C.S. Lewis book? Is that like trying to get you to pick between a favorite grandchild? Is that a fair question? (laughs) Well, uh, I don't know if it's a fair question, but I love it. Uh, For me, my I mean, I do love all of his stuff, but the the screw tape letters are what uh, kind of draw me in every single mm-hmm. time repeatedly. And um, perhaps that tells you something about the way my mind thinks, because it's kind of a strange upside down book. But yeah. yeah, that's that's the one that I return to most often. Yeah, that's what immediately when you were talking about the imagination piece that he engaged. If if your imagination is not engaged about spiritual warfare and reading screw tape letters, I think 
you may be the one person on the planet whose imagination has completely been turned off. So uh, <laughs> Randy, thanks for your time today. Enjoyed the conversation. And I do highly encourage people to go out and get the book Mirror Evangelism. Dennis, you know, uh, there's always opportunity for us to be people who are sharing the good news of the gospel, right? Amen, brother. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you both. God bless you, Randy, for for being with us, for being a guest on the show today. Folks, uh, super interesting. I would love for you to go and get this book, Mere Evangelism, just the way it's written and, and how Randy talked about it and how Lewis has inspired him to write, and God has used that in both of these men. Um, just sounds amazing to me. You can always go to cslewisinstitute.org. That's cslewisinstitute.org. Or as Brian just said, connectionpoints.us. Um, you can also go back and, and listen to the show again and get some more insight. Goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Hey, folks, thank you for joining us. God bless you. Again, you can call me at the station if you need to, to talk about more of this. 703-807-2266. Thanks again for joining us. God bless you all. We'll see you again next week. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of good news for the city, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.